the great honor and privilege and joy to be one of the pastors here at Chapel in the Pines, and it's always a my privilege and joy to share the word together. There's nothing that brings me more joy than to be in the house of the Lord in his word with his people and with those that are seeking him. So they say that everyone has a love language. Dr. Gary Chapman, a Christian author, uh, actually wrote a book uh, entitled The Five Love Languages. And in this book, he, he names them, he identifies them as the following five words of affirmation. So if you like to be encouraged and complimented, not in a flattery way, but that just really helps you to have those words of affirmation from people you love. Um, another one is uh, acts of service. So um, you like people cleaning the bathroom for you. Uh, you like people making you a meal, uh, that kind of thing. Maybe that speaks love. Uh, the loudest to you. Another love language could be touch. You're affectionate. You like hugs. You like people to put their arm around you and, 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 and assure you that things are going to be okay. Another love language would be quality time. You just can't get enough of spending time with your loved ones. And you like to go out to lunch. You like to be with people. And I believe the last one is receiving gifts. So gifts speak loud love to you, right? So, so the premise of all this is uh, although we all enjoy all these things on some level, um, the premise is that we all have a primary bent towards one of them that speaks love the loudest. Now, I have to confess that when my husband and I were, were reading this book a while back, it's an older book, and we were talking about our marriage and how to speak love to one another, I said, you know, I, I have to confess that my favorite is that when you do all of them at once. <laughs> Just a low-maintenance kind of woman that I am, you know? So, like, if we go on a date, and, and I'm feeling down, he knows that, so he takes me out, and he goes, takes me shopping for a new outfit, so that's a gift, and while we're shopping, he's Thank you. I love the woohoo in the back. And while we're shopping, he's telling me how beautiful I am because I'm trying on all these clothes for him. And, and, and while we're out and about, he's got his arms around me. He's holding my hand. And, and then he's serving me by taking me to lunch. And the whole thing is quality time. Like that actually speaks the loudest to me, okay? But if I had to, <laughs> if, if I had to pick one, which my husband kind of looked at me like, yeah, you still have to pick one. That is your primary love language. So if I had to pick one, it would be acts of service, would be more my primary love language, especially if you feed me. So I'm like a puppy dog. If you feed me, you're not going to get rid of me your whole life. I will show up at your door for more and more feeding. So acts of service is more uh, that, that speaks the loudest love language to me. So for me, this works out quite well that I was, um, I got the, we drew straws and I got the, the first S in our sermon series, which is um, we're going to have, or actually the E and then the S, and eat together and serve with love. So last week, as, as Pastor Chris said, we launched this new sermon series called Bless, and the premise is looking at God's call, that daunting call that a lot of us feel very uncomfortable with, right, to share our personal faith with those that don't share that faith yet. And, and for me personally, as I just recap last week, for me personally, it was such a comfort to be reminded that, that I don't have to be the one convincing them, I don't have to, to make sure they have all the right answers, I don't have to argue them into the kingdom, that we're simply called to just join God at work. 
right? That God is already pursuing everyone. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to be saved. And this, this sermon series is just asking us, how can we join God at work? And so we looked last week, if you missed it, the, 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 the bless series. So how can we bless others by sharing God in their life? Uh, the B is begin with prayer, right? How do we join God in his work? By We begin with prayer. We begin by praying, asking God for the people around us, asking God to be at work in their lives and to help that person be aware of God's work in their life. We pray that we would be more sensitive to those that God is working in around us, right? And then we looked at the L, the listening with care, so that we don't just come and just attack them and tell them what they should think and how they should believe. We actually listen to them. We listen to their stories, their background, their experiences. We, we ask good questions and we listen to their heart and their confusion. And so, so we, 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 we enter into this blessed series and, and the other thing that we, we looked at last week was that God's plan of salvation to reach to the ends of the earth always has to do with blessing. It's all, God's way of reaching and restoring the world has always been through blessing, hence the sermon series Bless. Right? So Pastor Chris took us all the way back to Abram or Abraham, he's also known as Abraham, where God said to Abram, and I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So that's really the premise of this sermon series that we continue on. And the call then is not just for Abram to be a blessing. The call is for us to be a blessing, that we bless others by sharing God's love and truth with the world. Now, we bless others and we share God's love and truth in many different ways, right? So we, we begin with prayer, we're listening, but there's also this, this practicality that, that is demanded, that, that we begin with prayer and listening, but when people are hurting, when people are confused, when people are lost, when people are lonely, when people need practical help, when they are hungry, people need action. So it, it, while it's very touching, and we found this, and I found this, that people, it's very touching that people say, I'll pray for you. That, that usually touches my heart, that people would care enough to say, I'll pray for you for that. But after a while, if that same person is aware of my need that isn't getting any better, and it's a real practical need, and no one's helping, well, then you start to wonder if that person really cares, right? There's, there's this call for action and, and, and this practical application of love and, and blessing. And so what we're going to look at today is that God wants us to be his hands, his feet, his heart to those who have yet to taste of the good news, which is really, really our key spiritual truth this morning. So our key spiritual truth, the one thing I want you to just, if we could wrap up the whole sermon and, and we're going to look at this and unpack it, but when you go home that you understand this concept that we add to this blessing, blessing series is that God wants us to be his hands and feet. Jesus with skin on, if you will, in many practical ways. And that's why the title of our sermon is entitled Practical Blessings, okay? So by showing, not just telling, not just praying, but by showing God's love and truth in practical form, we bless the world and we grow God's kingdom among us. And what we want to look at now is, as we begin to unpack that, is that we have to understand, and it's your first feeling if you take notes, is that the, the, the way God grows his kingdom is much simpler than we make it to be. First and foremost, it's about friendship. See? It's about friendship with God and friendship with one another because of Jesus. See, everything in God's kingdom is about relationship. Everything. 
So, so if we took the, the image of the cross, the symbol of the cross, which is our just our primary symbol of our Christian faith, which of course represents the sacrifice that God made to, to forgive our sins. But if we think of that image, we also get our identity and our mission from it. And our identity being that vertical image, that, that it defines who we are, that we are the people of God, we belong to him. That we're not just a social club or a country club, we're not just a nonprofit charitable organization. We are God's people. And as God's people, we are called to worship him and to witness to the world of him. And that witness demands this horizontal reaching out to other people. See, our mission and witness actually demands an outward focus. This is God's design. It's the way he modeled it. It's not something I'm coming up with or something this, this sermon series is telling us to do. We're preaching on it. We're talking about it. We're looking at it because it's biblical. See, this is God's design. If we look at Jesus' model, Jesus was incredibly intentional, right? Incredibly consistent when it came to connecting and communing with those who needed to hear the good news of the gospel. This is how Jesus did ministry. This is how he trained his disciples to do ministry. Be with people, those who have yet to taste of the good news of the Lord, most specifically, Jesus would also say, I think, if you looked at his life, not just be with people, but eat with people. So, so Jesus so often ate with people. We don't really think of that very often until we focus on that. Think of all the stories in the Bible that you know about Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite proof of this is, is after Christ's resurrection and Jesus reveals himself as the resurrected one to his disciples, it says that some of them didn't recognize Jesus right away until it says that he broke bread with them. And then it says that their eyes were opened. And it was because he had so often broken bread with them, he had so often eaten with them, that when he did that in his resurrected form, finally they realized this is him. He is him. He is the one. He is resurrected from the dead. He is with us again. It's just a beautiful example of, of how Christ did ministry. And like Jesus then, we are too called out. We are called out to go out of our way and befriend and bless people in practical ways in order to earn the right then to share the gospel with them, you see. So, so one of my favorite heroes of our Christian faith is William Cameron Townsend. He was a, the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators somewhere in the 1930s. Um, just an incredible ministry. Uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, they, they go out into the indigenous people groups, the, the small villages and tribes that, that the large languages kind of just overlook. And, and they go out there and they find these people groups that don't have an alphabet. And the reason they find these people groups without an alphabet is because then, therefore, they don't have the Bible either. So they send in linguists and missionaries and, and, and they spend an absorbent amount of time and energy learning the people's language, creating an alphabet for them, and then ultimately translating the Bible for them as a gift. We have many friends of ours that actually do this in, in, in their life today. So it's an incredibly 
culture-shaping, life-changing ministry. It's global. It's been around a long time. It's, it's part of God's good work on the earth today. And when I read William Cameron Townsend's uh, biography, they call him Uncle Cam. The book was named Uncle Cam. What I was most impressed with was the simplicity of his method. So when he was trying to break into a country, Latin America or wherever he was, somewhere where the gospel was not yet brought in, the first thing he would do is befriend the leaders. He would go in, introduce himself to the leaders. He wouldn't fill out an application. Can't, we'd like a, a, a nonprofit status. We'd like permission to do work here. We'd like to bring in the Bible. We want your signature. The first thing he'd do is he'd introduce himself to the leader and invite them to his house for dinner. And him and his wife would get to know them as people. And they start to befriend them. They get to know their family. They start to pray for them. And, and, and he would ask the leader, he'd say, how can we bless your people? See, well, what do you need? Do you need clinics? Do you need schools? Do, do you need industry? Whatever you need, that's what we're going to come and do first. Because he understood the power of blessing people in the practical applications of where they live and what they need, the quality of their life, before then earning the right to then share the gospel with them. And he found that it always opened up doors into places that had yet to hear of the gospel and now their, their, their ministry is just phenomenal, the impact they've had around the world. And so the next two acronyms in our BLESS series speaks into this kind of relational evangelism, if you will. And that's eat together and serve with love. So what I want to do as part of our biblical text today is I want to show you that this really is God's design. That, that this isn't something our denomination's coming up with as a new agenda, a new initiative, a new program. This is really God's design on how to move the promise of salvation that he gave Abram that we looked at last week and how that promise and plan for salvation to spread from one person to the ends of the earth ultimately spreads from person to person to person. And we're going to look at just kind of a random story to give us an example of that in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, maybe someone next to you might have one. If not, I'm going to read the story out loud. Turn to Genesis 24. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, give you a little context and set it up for us. So we looked at Abram or Abraham last week and God gave him the promise and the plan of salvation through him, uh, God's servant, right? And, and Abram steps out in faith because God calls him out of his hometown. He, he calls him away. He says, I want you to bring this promise forward. And that includes a physical movement of you to leave everything you know, everyone you know, and go into a foreign land. So we fast forward it to where Abram is now in a foreign land and his miracle son Isaac is of marrying age. So he has a problem. The problem is that, that, that he's surrounded by pagan cult cultures, pagan religions. He doesn't want his son to intermarry with those. He wants his son to, to carry this promise of the living God forward. So he wants his son to marry someone in his family line that also follows the living God. But he's living far, far away. And so what he does is he calls his most trusted servant. And he calls in his most trusted servant and he repeats the whole promise to his trust and trusted servant. And basically he says how important this promise and this plan is. And then in no way is Isaac to go back 
It's very interesting that the promise that is always to go forward, to move into the ends of the earth. He can't send Isaac back, but he can send a servant back to go find a wife for him. And this is what he does. And his servant agrees, says he's going to do his best to be successful in this mission. And he sets out with Abraham's 10 camels. Now, that's, you think, wow, one servant, ten camels, that's a pretty rich servant. No, the ten camels was for the wife that he was going to bring back to Isaac, right? So it's, it's a wonderful example. Mike and I just moved and here, and, and, and you know, we just did that big, long-distance move. And if you asked my husband, he'd say we, need to, we needed a lot more than ten camels to pack all my stuff up, that's for sure. So us women don't travel light, right? So the servant goes back, he heads back into where Abraham came from with 10 of his master's camels. Let's pick it up in Genesis 24, verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Okay, so let's just take a break there. So what's happened here? First of all, the servant has strategically set himself up at the well where the women go out at sunset to get water. So he's a pretty smart, pretty savvy servant, okay? Then what does he do? He prays. I love that. We begin with prayer. He prays for success. And not only does he pray, but he kind of throws out a fleece. It's a pretty big fleece if you think about it. He says to the Lord, may the one that you want not only give me water, but may she freely offer to feed all my camels, to give water to my camels, my 10 camels. Now, let me just um, disbunk a myth out there that camels carry water in their humps, so they don't need to drink much. Actually, I looked that up. Camels' humps actually consist of 80% fat. So camels can actually drink up to 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Now, I don't know how much these 10 camels drank. I don't know how much water was in that well, okay? But we do know this was no small test of this woman's heart and character that this servant put to the test. So let's pick it up in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. 
and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Okay, I'm sure the man did gaze. Like, I can't believe the Lord really answered that crazy prayer, right? Maybe there was like, he was like you and I, we pray something like a test. We don't know if the Lord's really going to do that. And he did. And, and what's beautiful in this, this, this text here is that Rebecca demonstrates a servant's heart. When we're talking about practical theology, practical blessings, right? Rebecca demonstrates, she gives him a drink from her water jar with her very hands, and then she freely offers to become a servant to the servant. She freely offers to go and water his camels. This was no small act of kindness. It was service with great love. It's the kind of service we're looking at today when our sermon series calls for us to serve with love, generosity, kindness, to go the extra mile. So let's finish out the story for our purposes this morning at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this story. Both the servant and Rebecca serve with love, right? You hear the tenderness of the servant so wanting to serve his master well. He didn't just want to just go and get the job done. He's praying. He's strategically serving. He's, he's, he's looking for a way to praise his master's Lord. It's a beautiful example of service with love. They both actually also engage in hospitality. I don't know if you picked that up. So we're talking about eating together in this theme of hospitality. But, but the servant asked her to stay at her house before he even knew who she was. And she offered her home before she knew who he was. And, and, and I was reading this text. It came to me that, that this is how it's done, you see. We think of the promise that was given Abraham. And it passes through now. It's going to pass through his miracle son Isaac because of these two people that were willing to eat together and serve with love. It's a beautiful thing how God used them and they didn't even know it at the time, right? And so, so the result, and we have it on the slide for you, the result is God's promise and plan continues forward through imperfect, humble servants who put themselves out there to experience God together. Sometimes it's just about showing up. Right? I don't think the servant knew he was going to be successful. That's probably why he prayed. But he showed up. And he did everything he did with love. And then he engaged. He invited himself over to her house. And she engaged back and received him without even knowing whose family line he was from. Now, it was a different culture then. But the principles are still there. 
the power of hospitality and the power of serving with love. So what I want to do now for, for the rest of our time is look at what I call the so what section of a sermon. So the so what section is, so what? What does it have to do with me? Today, March 2017, up here in the mountains, how does this apply to my life today? This is really the take home for us. And our first feeling is this, as we look at our, our blessed series, the E of course is Eat Together, that Jesus ate with the people he was trying to reach. We talked about that. Therefore, why wouldn't we? Right? It's really simple theology. Jesus did it. Why wouldn't we do it? Furthermore, it's worth noting that Jesus didn't just eat with the right people. He ate with all the wrong people as well. See, so much so that the Pharisees even asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, it was so common of him to eat with all the wrong people that he got criticized for doing it. So why did he do it? Here's why. God designed us in such a way that eating is not just a biological necessity. Now, in our fast-paced, not as much up here as where I came from, but in our fast-paced American culture, eating sometimes just becomes a necessity. But God designed us in such a way that eating is also a social and relational necessity, see? Back in Jesus' day, you ate with someone you wanted to associate with. Back in Jesus' day, you ate with someone who you had value for. You ate with someone you wanted to build relationship for and show worth and value, and you wanted to associate with that person in, in, in their class system, if you will. And I would say, and nowadays we have a different system, but it's pretty much the same. We don't typically eat with someone we don't like. We ask people out to dinner that we want to pursue relationship with. And if that's true... Think about the fact that Jesus ate with everyone. Everyone. There was no one he did not want to associate with. And so Jesus communicated a great deal by the seemingly mundane act of eating at people's homes. We can so easily pass over in the scriptures. The fact that he ate with the social and religious outcast was a blessing to them because it communicated to them that God loves them and wants to bless them. This is the call for us today. And today's theme really speaks, I think, to the value and the power of hospitality today. I love the thought that we can literally eat our way into the kingdom. I mean, remember, that's my love language. So I, I can do this. This is pretty fun and exciting for me. Think about it. If every Christian household invited one guest that they hadn't fully befriended yet, one, one neighbor, once a week, once a month even, if every Christian household did that, Think of that. We would literally change the world for the kingdom by eating. You don't have to go to seminary for that, my friends. We can all do that. It's simple, right? If we're going to bless the world, we must eat with the world. It's a real simple, simple message. It's not that hard to do either, right? Invite people to our homes instead of just restaurants. <coughs> Frequent out to, with people in places that you see the same people all the time. Now here, that's really not a problem. But where I came from, you really had to decide where you could go all the time to see the same people to start to get to know them. Get to know your servers' names and start to get to know them as real people, not just servers. Ask how their day is. Ask their name. 
Invite people to coffee at your house. Holiday desserts to neighbors. Just make a dessert and bring it to your neighbor. Pray for them while you make it. Just say, I was thinking of you. And you know what? It's not just a female thing either. I think of the men who I have known in my life who have blessed so many neighbors and friends who have put on great barbecues, neighborhood barbecues, and the people love it. They feel so valued and blessed. I think of a friend of mine who did really good sushi, and, and he would invite all his neighbors to that, and they just really felt loved through him. I think of my grandpa when he was alive and how his trademark, he'd make homemade bread. Every time someone came over and the house smelled like homemade bread and you felt loved, you felt pursued. You knew that he was glad that you were there. But unfortunately, hospitality, I think, is a spiritual gift that we Americans tend to forget. We forget about it maybe because of the time and the energy it takes to entertain. Right? We think our houses have to be perfect. We have to be really good cooks. But that's not hospitality, right? Hospitality is being your real self, letting people into your real home, and just being yourself. Here's the kicker. The less impressed people are with us, the more impressed they'll be with God who loves us anyway. Right? So there's really nothing to prove or nothing to lose, only to love. We must recover the importance of Christian hospitality and make room for it in our lives for God to use. The second so what is, is the bless, the S part, the serve with love. Serve with love. Jesus saw the need and met the need. Think of all the healing, food, forgiveness, acceptance that he brought people. And now he calls us to do the same, right? See the need, meet the need. Think of the people that Jesus met their needs. He didn't really go way out of his way to do it. They were the people right in front of him. These are the people God calls us to serve. Our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, people right in front of us in the store. This is what Jesus did. He saw the need. He met the need right in front of him. The great story of the loaves and fishes, which Pastor Chris brought up in prayer, is really a fun story because there's an element to it we often miss when we just are so focused on the miracle, of course, and God's generosity to us in that story. But think about it. So, so the crowds were forming around Jesus. He had been preaching all day. It's becoming nighttime. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. They are hungry to hear the truth of God's love. He doesn't want to disappoint them. He just keeps giving it to them. It's almost dark, and, and it's a lot like here, except for no round table pizza. There's not a lot to go get food with, right? So the disciples come to Jesus, and, 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 they, and they almost rebuke him, really. If you read the story, they're like, Master, teacher, let these people go. They're hungry. they got to go get food. What does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them, you feed them. It's an interesting statement, right? You feed them. And Jesus was not the one that walked around with the baskets. He took what they had, he blessed it, and the disciples walked around and fed them. I love the story because the story tells us that, it, that, that, that our evangelism demands service and hospitality. Evangelism demands service and hospitality. You feed them. Don't always just send them to church. Don't always just send them off. You feed them. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. And the key here is really with love, right? 
service with love. Nobody likes bad service at a restaurant. That's what service is without love, right? Faith, hope, faith, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love is the essence of the kingdom. I would dare say that if what we do unto the Lord we don't do with love, we might as well not do it at all. That's kind of a radical statement. You think about all the good things we do. Should we do them at all if we don't do them with love? Paul says no. I could prophesy. I could do a million things for the Lord. But if I do it without love, I have nothing. Love is why we do service. If we don't taste like Jesus, why do it? Right? I think a beautiful example of this is the food closet. I met the food closet a couple times now on Tuesday mornings and... What I was most impressed with was not only the diligence and the food that was available to people to come who need it, and the service project that's wonderful, but the love that was in that room. Now, when people come to get the bread and the food that they need, they don't just leave with food, they taste the bread of life while they're there. They taste Jesus. The people who serve at that food closet love those people, and they know it. And it's a powerful ministry because of it. And our final so what uh, statement today is that Jesus allowed others to care for him. We need to let others to care for us too. That's kind of an odd statement, right? But as I really thought about it and prayed about it this week in my life and how God is calling me to put this into action, I thought about Jesus. And Luke, uh, you can look it up this week, Luke 8, 1 through 3, talks about the women that, that followed Jesus along with the disciples from town to town. It says that they, they, they took care of the disciples. They fed the disciples. They fed Jesus. They took care of their needs out of their own means. Which means Jesus was served, too. I think of the many times that Jesus would go to dinner. Many times he had to have a servant to wash his feet. Greet him. Serve him. I think of John the Baptist who was like, oh no, I am not going to baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no. You baptize me. There's something to this. And as I thought about it, I realized that the way to enter people's hearts is to show them the difference that they can make in your life too, you see. People enjoy helping others. It flips the you need me to I need you. And that gives them great value. They don't want to just be a spiritual badge to us. They want to know that you have room in your life for them to make a difference as well. And God created everyone to love and be loved. So when we let others love us, we're actually helping them to feel valued as they were created to do, you see. And, and this was a lesson, as we wrap up this morning, this was a lesson that I learned coming up here. It's a very strange lesson. I didn't expect it. We usually don't, whatever God has to teach us, right? So the day before the move to come up here, I suffered a really significant back injury. It was from three weeks of being incredibly sick, lower back injury. Really painful, very significant. I, I don't think I've ever had a back injury that, that bad, where I could not walk. I was sweating all day long. I was in so much pain. I couldn't do a thing. Not only was it daunting to me that I had to move in front of me, not only was I moving to where there were stairs everywhere, okay? Not only was I going to have to do a lot of pointing to my poor husband and I couldn't do my normal setup and get established mode, but it, it was embarrassing to me. It was embarrassing because I wasn't my best self. 
right? I showed up my first day in the church office, hunched over, couldn't walk. The staff will attest to it. Can move like a snail. They probably thought, we got duped, right? <laughs> like, wow, we must have caught you on a good day in the interview, right? And I, that's what I was afraid of. Like, you don't really know me otherwise. You don't know that I'm a busy beaver, that I, I go, go, go. You don't know how passionate I am about this. I can't do any of that right now. I can't even walk. I can't even set my office up. I was in so much pain. It wasn't even myself. I was like in a, a pain fog. It was, it, it was embarrassing to me. And I kept saying, Lord, why aren't you healing me? What if I disappoint them? What if they're not impressed with me? What if they're disappointed? What am I going to do? And the Lord said to me, he challenged my pride. He said, Marilyn, he said, why do you think I've called you up here? Do you think I've called you up here to impress people? Or have I called you up here to love people? And so I decided to just let it be what it was. Don't try and defend or explain myself. Humble myself, do something different, and let others respond to my neediness. It was interesting how many doors that opened in the community when I was the needy one for then me to love them back. When others felt important, when I needed help somewhere, like when I had to ride the granny carts at Lowe's and Walmart to go shopping for the house. But it was amazing how many open doors that opened to let others take care of me a little bit. And then I could respond back with love. It was more powerful than I realized. And I learned the lesson that sharing the good news of Jesus and growing God's church is not about impressing others. That's humanism. It's about loving others. I can still love when I'm not feeling my best or looking my best. I can still love when I'm not able to do my best. And if my goal is to love and not to impress, what does it matter I walk with a limp? And what does it matter I walk a little slow? Mother Teresa said, we can do no great thing, only small things with great love. As wonderful and as helpful as it is to know our loved one's love language, how much more important is it to know our God's love language? And what we looked at today is that when we open up our homes and our hearts for the means of sharing God's love and truth with others, and when we serve with love, we are speaking God's primary love language. So what I want us to do during the closing song is I want us to be in prayer in our hearts. In your note sheet, there's a little place for you to take notes like uh, from, the, from the blessed pamphlet like last week. And there's a place for you to write down some ideas on who to have over and, and who to maybe feed a meal to who to uh, just brainstorm how to eat together. Who needs help? Who can I serve? Who can I invite over for dinner? Who can I bring dessert? Just pray as our last song closes out our time in worship this morning.